Our second reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 10, which can be found on page 1056. 1 Corinthians 10. Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things became examples for us, so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in a single day 23,000 people fell dead. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Nor shall we complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written as a warning to us, on whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Therefore, my dear friends, free from idolatry, I am speaking as to wise people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we give thanks for, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for all of us share that one bread. Look at the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in what is offered on the altar? What am I saying then? The food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food offered to an idol, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for conscience sake. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanks, why am I slandered because of something I give thanks for? Therefore, whenever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Give no offence to the Jews or the Greeks or the Church of God, just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. 
Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome to church. My name is Ed. I'm a student minister here at Church by the Bridge and we're continuing making our way through the letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, As I I walked down King Street in Newtown yesterday. I live in the inner west. I was pondering to myself still and puzzled. What does 1 Corinthians 10 have to do with Sydney? All this talk about idolatry and idol feasts and food sacrificed to idols. And then I walked past my local Thai restaurant and I noticed that the little bowl of rice and the little boiled egg that often sits out the front had been upgraded to a pad Thai. So I thought, if ever it's time to find out, get to the bottom of these food offerings on King Street, today is the day. So I went in, I spoke to the manager, and I said, what's, what's the go with the food out the front? He explained to me that he believes his restaurant is a spirit house. And there is a resident spirit in that, in that restaurant. And so the, that spirit brings good fortune to his restaurant. Every day, he offers the meal of, meal of the day on top of the, fri- the drinks fridge to his spirit. He also offers a little vegetarian option to Buddha. And out on the street, he puts an offering for any spirits who are passing by uh, in order to feed them and so that they might not bring bad fortune into his restaurant. I remember listening to uh, the former Archbishop Peter Jensen uh, hypothesizing about what it might be like for us to be Christian in the future in Australia. And his observations really struck me. Uh, He said that as our nation becomes increasingly post-Christian, and as the atheists try and drive God out of every area of life, he said, don't expect there to be left a spiritual vacuum. Expect, rather, that the spirits will come flooding in. And I've got to say, as I walk down King Street, There are clairvoyants and tarot card readers popping up everywhere. When I go to Bondi, it's this new spiritual hub. It seems like spirituality is flooding in. Now, you may be thinking that most Sydney-siders you know are nothing like this. And sure, most of us aren't as perhaps spiritual as this Thai restaurant owner. But we're probably equally, if not more, religiously devoted to the idols that we worship. I mean, none of us are going to a temple and bowing down in front of a statue, but we bend over backwards, don't we, to get a house in this Sydney property market. Uh, we pine after new cars and clothes and, and toys that we think might make us happy. We religiously exercise and diet so that we might have a fit body that everyone else can worship. And in Sydney, we don't just sacrifice food to the idols of money, career, and comfort. Tragically, many of us are sacrificing ourselves, our marriages, even our children. Friends, if you're thinking that all this talk about idols and idol worship and and food offered to idols is not relevant, perhaps it might be helpful that we just do a little exercise to identify some of the idols in our own lives. I'm going to ask us a few questions just to think about and think about what some of the idols might be for us. 
So let me ask you these four questions as you think about what might be some idols in your life. When your mind is free to daydream, when you can think about whatever you want, where does your mind wander to? What about your money? Where do you just find it so easy to spend your money? You almost spend it unquestioningly. Uh, not just your disposable income, but what about the, the big direct debits coming out of your account? What does your money say about who you worship? What do we fear losing? What is it that if we never get, we will feel like life wasn't worth living, like we are deeply unsatisfied? What about our strongest emotions? What arouses the strongest emotions in you, the greatest heights of, of excitement and enthusiasm and the deepest depths of anger and frustration when it doesn't happen? As you think about the answers to some of those questions, you're starting to scratch on the surface of what some of the idols are for you and for others in our land. And, and if we take a definition of idolatry as being anything we worship other than worshipping God, well then, Sydney, just like Corinth, is a land full of idols. It's an idol-filled world, and God says to Sydney-siders, he says to you and to me, just like he said to the Corinthian Christians, verse 14 of chapter 10, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. So why do we need to hear 1 Corinthians chapter 10? We need it because God is going to teach us how to participate in an idol-filled world without partaking in idolatry. Our passage today would be really great if you've got it open in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's on page 1056. It breaks into three pretty neat sections as we try and answer this question. How do we partake how do we participate in an idol-filled world without partaking in idolatry? Verses 1 to 13, God will tell us, don't be complacent like Israel. Verses 14 to 22, God will tell us, don't flirt with idolatry, flee from it. And verses 23 to 11 verse 1, God will tell us, seek his glory and the good of others, not our own. So let's start at our first point, chapter 10, verse 1, page 1056. It's good to know history, isn't it? It's good to know history. Why do we want our kids to learn history in their schools? So they don't repeat history's mistakes. What does Paul start the chapter by saying, 10, verse 1? Now, I want you to know, brothers, literally, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant, brothers, about our fathers. I might just quickly point out there that most of the Corinthians had become Christian from a pagan background. They didn't have a Jewish heritage, probably like many of us here today. But Paul says he wants them to know about our fathers. You see, when you put your trust in Israel's Messiah, Jesus, and become a Christian, then Israel's history becomes your history too. And so Paul wants us to know Israel's history. 
that we have written down in the Old Testament. And the reason he wants us to know it is that we won't become complacent. What were the errors that Israel made? Well, they presumed on their experience of God. Those first four verses there, Paul's recounting the events of the Exodus, where Israel came out of Egypt. Imagine, imagine experiencing having God lead you in a cloud. Imagine experiencing walking through the middle of a parted sea that God had parted for you. Imagine eating bread that God delivered from heaven and drinking from a rock in the middle of the desert that God split open for your people. In spite of all these amazing experiences that Israel enjoyed, it didn't make them immune from falling into idolatry. It didn't make them immune to becoming complacent in their sin. Because they presumed back on their experience, they became complacent about the challenges. And I don't know about you, maybe you've had some great experiences with God. Maybe you were baptized. Maybe you have taken communion. Uh, Maybe you grew up in a Christian home or you've read the Bible front, front to back. But none of that makes you immune from falling into idolatry. What else does Paul want us to know about Israel's history? He wants us to know not to become complacent about the dangers of sin, especially the sin of idolatry. So Paul recounts this catalogue of the temptations and challenges that Israel faced in their wilderness journey. Probably the most notable amongst them is that of the golden calf. We had it read out to us before by Stephen. Israel gets this uh, dramatic um, rescue out of Egypt and they're standing at the bottom of Mount Sinai. God is speaking to Moses at the top of the mountain. They can look up and see fire and smoke. That is where God is. They only need to look up to witness God's presence amongst them. But Moses took a long time up there. 40 days. 40 days and they got impatient. And so they thought they'd turn their earrings into a a baby cow. A golden baby cow that they could bow down and worship and say, here is our God. And then they sacrificed to it and they praised it and they got drunk and they had a festival to celebrate it. They couldn't wait 40 days without turning from the living God. But then, you know, I think back to the last seven days. And I think of the temptations that I've faced and failed. Temptations to get angry with my children when they won't fit into the schedule that I have for them. Temptations to grumble and complain against God because my life's not turning out the way that I want it to or that I think it should. Friends, I can't even last seven days. Maybe we're not that unlike Israel as we like to think. Well, Paul wants the Corinthians to know not to be complacent about the dangers of sin. And what happened in each of these instances that he recounts? What was the consequence of compromising, of giving in to temptation? It's just like a list, isn't it? The sexually immoral. They fell in a single day, 23,000. Those who tested Christ were destroyed. Those who complained were killed by the destroyer. Friends, giving in to those temptations, 
Turning away from the living God will bring destruction. Turning to idols, they promise life, but they bring death. They'll eat you alive. You may offer them food, but they'll eat you up. Anyone who's engaged in in idolatry worship or even ancestor worship, anything like that, has found themselves to be trapped in it and swallowed up. It will lead to your fall. So what should we do? What ought we to do? Verse 12, Paul says, If you think you're standing, be careful not to fall. Take great care. Know this history. Verse 11, these things happened and were written as examples for us and they were written down for us. I hope, Christians, that you know your Old Testament. Uh, We neglect it to our own detriment. Know the stories because if you know them, you'll know, wow, I'm not the first person to face these temptations. Surprise, surprise, I'm not the first person to feel abandoned by God. I'm not the first person to be tempted to be sexually immoral. I'm not the first person to think that I, should com- I can complain about my leaders and be okay with that. No, Paul says, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. So we know our history, so we don't repeat its mistakes. Israel's history, it's like a a litany of the failures and tragedies of idolatry. But it's also a history of the great faithfulness of our God. What does Paul say in verse 13? God is faithful. God is faithful. And when you're faced with temptations to compromise, to give in this week, remember these two wonderful things that Paul wants to tell you about the faithfulness of God. First, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Did you notice the word he used? Paul said he will not allow. God is sovereign. God is in control of the temptations you face. You can turn to him, not run away from him, when you're facing temptations. And the second truth we need to know about our faithful God is that with these temptations, God provides a way of escape. There is always a way out. There was always a way out for Israel. There will always be a way out for you and me. We don't have to give in because God can give us a way out. I found that to be a wonderful truth this last week. As I've been tempted to look places I shouldn't look, to think thoughts I shouldn't think, I've just said to God, God, show me the way of escape. Show me how to get out. And God is kind and God is faithful. He does that. Well, the idol feasts of Corinth, the feasts that the Corinthian Christians were tempted to engage in, were a real deep temptation for them. They they came with everything, feasting, drunkenness, sexual immorality, uh, all these temptations. And some amongst the Corinthian Christians had convinced themselves that they were strong enough they were strong enough to have idol feasts and have Christ too. They were strong enough to engage in the idolatry feasts and keep their Christian faith as well. And to these strong Christians, and perhaps to anyone here amongst us today who thinks that they're strong enough to have their Christian faith and dabble in all these sins and and idolatry too, God's word is very clear. Verse 14 of of chapter 10. 
My dear friends, flee from idolatry. That's our second point this morning. Don't, uh, uh, don't flirt with idolatry, rather flee from it. We Christians have quite a funny knack, don't we, of being able to justify the idolatry that we want to have in our life. You know, we might take a bigger house with some spare bedrooms just in case a, a missionary couple want to come and stay with us. Probably need to upgrade the car to have leather seats in case the kids spill on the car seats, then leather's easier to clean, isn't it, than upholstery? Uh, what about um, one, for, one for me personally, I, I love exercise. I think it's important to exercise every single day so that I'm strong to play with my kids. My kids don't need Superman. They just want to play Octonauts and Duplo. We often convince ourselves that we can get away with these things. We want a foot in both camps, don't we? These strong Christians in Corinth had convinced themselves that they could go to the idol feasts because idols weren't real. Paul's commands are assertive and clear. Don't flirt. Flee from idolatry. He explains why, and he uses the illustration of communion. Now, we're all familiar with communion. And when we partake in communion, uh, Paul says that what we're doing is we're saying, I'm with Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus' body, the bread that I eat, the pouring out of Jesus' blood, the wine that I drink, as I partake in them, I'm saying that I partake in Jesus' sacrifice for me. Now, Paul says, if you then go to the idol temple and you partake in their idol feasts, you're saying, I'm with the idols. Paul says you can't have it both ways. He doesn't want uh, uh, going to the idol feasts and compromising with idolatry. It's not an expression of strength of Christianity. It's an expression of spiritual adultery. It's saying that you want three people in your marriage union, your spiritual marriage with Christ. Imagine a couple, a married couple, go to a party. And one of, the, one of the couple go up to the bar to grab a drink. And the bartender begins flirting with that person. What illustrates, what demonstrates the strength of that marriage? Is it how far that person can go in flirting with the bartender? Or is it that they flee the conversation? They walk away from the bar and they don't go back there again. Friends, God is a jealous God. Look what he says in verse 22. We must not provoke our Lord to jealousy. God is jealous for our love and jealous for our worship. He wants us to not flirt with idols, but to flee from them. At this point, Paul anticipates that the Corinthians... In a, in a uh, lawyer might have come out, and, and perhaps yours might have too. But Paul, they might say, aren't we free? Aren't we Christians free? Free to engage in anything because we know that we have one God. We've got uh, Jesus, and he's cleansed us from our sins. Paul says, absolutely, we're free. But have a look at what Paul says we're free to do in verse 24. You are free. 
but you're free not to seek your own good, but to seek the good of other people. Uh, when it's free not to be self-seeking, which, let's face it, that's what idolatry really is. And we're free to seek the good of others. And that's our third and final point this morning. As we seek to answer this question, how do we, partake, uh, how do we participate in an idol-filled world without partaking in idolatry? God says we do it by seeking his glory and seeking the good of others. Pretty much all the meat sold in Corinth may have been sacrificed to an idol. Does this mean that the Corinthian Christian couldn't go to the butcher? Well, Paul uses the discussion about meat to argue that, uh, that the problem is not with the stuff. That is, there's nothing tangible that happens to the meat when it's been offered to an idol. Uh, in the same way, there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with many of the things we worth, worship. Nothing wrong with money, a nice car, the right dress, a beautiful house, a dream job, or a fit body. The question a Christian needs to ask is, will my partaking in these things glorify God and be for the good of others? It really all boils down to what Naomi was teaching the children before, Jesus' two great commands, what we might call the law of Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, And love your neighbor as yourself. So I've got a friend who played representative rugby. And he decided that after after the games, when when everyone would get together for the post-match functions, he decided that he'd leave those functions by 11 p.m. He decided nothing really good happens after 11. And as a Christian witness, when all the drunken revelry begins, he thought it would be better for him not to be seen to be part of it. I've heard of a man who was very gifted in business, very adept at making lots of money. He chose to live off a minister's wage and to be generous with the rest so that he wouldn't be allured by the trappings of wealth and comfort. I have a friend who had a dream car and he decided to downgrade it because he realized it was becoming too important to who he was as a person. Friends, I don't know what idols you might be tempted by. I don't know if you're tempted to ancestor worship or if you're just tempted to the next pay packet. But whatever the idols we face, let verse 31 and following be your guide. Let's look at them together. Do everything for God's glory. Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do everything for God's glory. Seek not to give offense to anyone. Verse 32, give no offense to the outsiders or those inside the church. Verse 33, but seek to please others in every way. And what's the good that we seek of all other people, Christian or or non-believer? We seek that all may be saved. The Lord has set a really grand vision before us of how to participate in an idol-filled world without partaking in idolatry. But if you're anything like me, as you read a passage like this, not only do you get struck by the good that you should do, 
you're probably really aware of all the things you haven't done. You're probably aware of all the times you, you have become complacent in your attitude to sin. Perhaps you're aware of times that rather than fleeing from idolatry, you've just flirted with it. Perhaps you're aware that maybe you find yourself seeking your own good and your own glory far more than you seek the glory and good of others. Well, thankfully, Jesus, our Saviour, entered into this idol-filled world. He came in and he did not partake in idolatry. Not only did he show us perfectly how to live in this world, but also he came to rescue us from it. Jesus hung out with sinners and idolaters and he was often criticised for the people that he hung out with. And what was his response to the critics who were against him? He responded to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Friends, if you're aware that you have been guilty of turning to idols rather than turning to the living God, then heed Paul's warning. Flee from idols. Flee into the arms of the loving God. Flee into the arms of the faithful God who stands ready to welcome you, to forgive you and rescue out of this idol-filled world. Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Look to Christ as as an example, but also look to Christ as the faithful God who will rescue you out of your temptations and rescue you from this idol-filled world. We're going to come before God and we're going to confess our sins now to him.